Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find uh, 1 Thessalonians, which will be towards the end of your Bible, towards the end of the New Testament, and if you want, want to find chapter 4, I'm going to read those verses to you in a moment or two. For those of you who are in the room, normally I'd like to be looking out and engaging with you all and looking at your lovely faces, but for the benefit of those watching at home, I'm going to be staring mostly at the camera and pretending that that is a person who we will today call George, the camera. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet that guides our ways. And it guides our ways not just in these present days we're living, but for all our eternity. It guides our ways to an eternity with you. And we pray as we look at these words together that they would breathe life and steadfast hope into our hearts Help us to trust you fully with everything that we have. Help us to live a life that is dependent upon you and your goodness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This week I had one of those dreams that you sometimes have, this sort of dream where you wake up uh, and you feel a bit kind of on edge and then you suddenly remember, oh, that wasn't real, I'm okay. And the dream was, I had a dream that I met someone and I shook their hand. And then I woke up thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I shake their hand? And then I realized, oh, it was just a dream. I've been social distancing perfectly adequately. It's okay. And that's the kind of the weird world that we live in at the moment. That there's no other season of my life that I can remember that I've been regularly checking infection rates or even death rates of this pandemic, this virus as it's spread across the world. And as I'm sure many others have been doing that as well, millions have across the world, what it does is it's done something in our souls as a society 
that all of a sudden the realization of our mortality, that our time here on earth is limited, our realization that death is around us and affects us, affects all of us one day ultimately, but even now, it's a regular feature on the news. It's something we read about. It's something, it's like a cloud over all of our lives. And whether we are kind of actively thinking about it or not, death, the awareness of death, the awareness of death that we've had in this season has done something within us, I think. There's this kind of, we talk about this herd immunity, but there's been this herd effect of fear that has spread across the world as this pandemic itself has spread around the world. And this fear can become an oppressive force. That's what fear does. It will oppress you. Because ultimately, fear, the Bible teaches, is one of the tools that the devil, that Satan uses. That kind of language might scare you. We can't believe in, in a devil, you know, with a big staff and red ears. We don't believe in that. But yet the Bible is very honest about the reality of good and evil. That there is a devil who wants to cause us fear and doubt and ultimately wants to lead us away from Jesus, wants to wreck our lives, wants to ruin the world around us. And his main tool to do that, it talks about in Hebrews Chapter 2, let me find the verses for you. It says this that Jesus came to deliver, that Jesus came that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, the fear of death will lead you into slavery because the fear of death now is that's Satan's primary tool to oppress you. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he has no actual power over death. His dominion now only is a limited one that works out through fear, through fear, through bringing this fear of death upon us, a fear that will cripple you, that will blind you, it will distort you from what's actually true, what's real, and it will, as it says there in Hebrews, it will enslave you, it will restrict, remove your freedoms. And yet what Paul has done in this passage, he wrote to that church in first century Thessalonica and he writes to us today to bring us hope. That's one of the main themes of this letter. Said right at the start that Paul wrote this letter to bring his church, the people of God, steadfast hope. That's what hope, Christian hope, is supposed to be. It's supposed to be firm, supposed to be solid, supposed to be steadfast, something that we put our feet upon and is secure, a rock beneath us. And the church in Thessalonica, their fear is they were worrying about what happens to our friends who are believers when they die? What will happen to them? 
when Jesus returns, will their experience be different from our experience? That was their question. And we might not live with that same fear. I think we probably don't, most of us. We're not worrying about what happens to our fellow believers in Jesus when they die. Most of us will be pretty assured about that. But I think the fear that haunts us, particularly in this season, it might not even be the fear of death itself. But I think what lots of people have been feeling is the reality of the shortness of time that our lives are limited. That many of us have been having to grieve about the things that we've lost in this season. Perhaps the things in our life that we feel like have been put to death. Our dreams, our plans for this year. We're already 70% through this year, believe it or not. And yet so much of it feels like our life has just been on pause and that we've lost, we've had to lay down so much. So much we feel has been robbed away from us. And we feel like we're having to grieve over what, what about all those things that I wanted to do? What's gonna happen to all those dreams I had? What's my life gonna look like in the future? What is the whole world around us? How are things gonna work out? And that can lead to a, this oppressive fear, this fear that comes around us, that ultimately it might not feel like you're fearing death, but that is actually the fear that is oppressing you, the shortness of time, the fact that your life is limited. Perhaps you're even aware of the fear in your heart of what happens if I get this disease? What happens if my loved ones, my relatives get it? That concern can rob us of our joy, of our freedom. And yet Paul writes to tell us about what is gonna happen at the end when Jesus returns to encourage us, to give us hope. He said there in verse 18 at the end, therefore encourage one another with these words that the church, not just then, but all through history, the church today can share stories of what Jesus is gonna do, how he's gonna return in glory and that should encourage us, should give us hope, should give us peace. And we shouldn't be surprised that there's fear around us because the spirit of our age says that death is the supreme evil, that death is to be avoided at all costs, which makes sense if death is just the end, if death is just the end of the story, the lights go off, the book is closed, and there's nothing else. But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, We know the reality of what happens when we die, that there's a hope for us to believe in, to stand firm upon. And the Bible doesn't say that death is this supreme evil to be feared, because it says that Jesus has defeated death now. And Paul, in this passage, gives us two Wonderful reasons to hope. The first reason he gives us is he says this, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The first reason he gives us is that Jesus has died and rose again. It says in 1 Peter, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus 
gives us hope. Why does it give us hope? Because Jesus died and rose again. And in doing that, he defeated death once and for all. He won this supreme victory over death. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the sting of death, Jesus has taken away, that Jesus is the death killer. In Hebrews 2, it says that he might taste death for everyone, that he is eaten up death to take away its sting and its pain and its destruction, that it's no longer a supreme evil to be feared because he's won this supreme victory over death. See, in this passage, five times Paul talks about death. I don't know if you noticed that. One time he talks about how those of us who had died, we died in Christ. That's the language he uses. Another time he talks about Jesus dying. And then three other times, it just talks about us going to sleep. That essentially he's saying that's what happens to us when we die, is that we fall asleep. I mean, obviously not in a, a literal sense that we are just asleep, but we're still breathing and our hearts are still pumping. But essentially our soul, spiritually, we're, we're asleep. The English word cemetery that actually means sleeping place. The Dutch word for a funeral is outfart, as in to sail out. That there's somewhere else that we're going to. That we fall asleep and we rest in God, awaiting that moment where he calls us back out again. That Jesus' death means that death now has been swallowed up in victory, that Jesus has won this decisive battle for us. And that means that not just death itself, but the fear of death has been resoundingly beaten. That if you're a believer of Jesus, you no longer need to fear death. There's a hope that we have that is greater and more powerful. Now, does that mean that to grieve is pointless. Well, no, that's not what this passage says to us at all. Actually, grief is an important way of us acknowledging that that relationship that we've had is ended. Even we read about Jesus grieving when his friend Lazarus dies. That famous verse we know about Jesus weeping but the verse before that, it says that when Jesus arrived and he saw his friends weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus grieved for his friend. I mean, he did raise him from the dead a few moments later. But when he saw he was dead, he, he grieved. It's important that we're, if you've lost a loved one, I know some dear friends of ours in this church recently lost someone very close to them. And it was so encouraging to hear how they have been holding fast to Jesus in this season. That they know that there's a greater hope to cling on to. And that we can grieve and mourn and feel pain. But it's all rooted in this firm conviction of what Jesus has in store for us. For those of us who are followers of him. There's pain but wonderfully hope. And for many of us, it's, it's okay even to put death aside for one moment. It's okay to grieve for what's been lost in this season. 
The Bible is full of passages of lament where the writers in the Bible work out their pain, their suffering. They ask questions of God. You read the book of Job. It's full of these questions of the writer working out what it means to follow God in the midst of profound and very difficult suffering. It's okay to come to God in this season and and say, but what about these things that I've lost? What about this, all these dreams and desires I had that have been removed from me? See, maybe some of those things God has taken away because actually they, they needed to die. <laughs> that they weren't good things. That he's put to death in your life for a reason. But other things, because of the resurrection, we know that Jesus can breathe life into whatever he wants. So there may be some things in your life that for a season have stopped or been paused. But trust God that if it's something that's good for you, that's in his will, he will restore it. He will resurrect it back into being. He will breathe life into it again at the right time. So the first reason... Paul gives us to hope is the resurrection. The second reason he gives us that we can hope is he says this, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And then he goes, to un- goes on to unpack what the Bible teaches about what's gonna happen when Jesus returns. But the point he's trying to make to us is that the, the Bible itself, this book, will bring you hope, comfort, and encouragement, and it will do it better than anything else here on earth. Because so often we try and find comfort and encouragement in passing things that don't last. You know, escapism is exactly that. 20 minutes of Netflix will give you exactly that. 20 minutes of escape and no more. Building your life upon the word of God will give you a comfort and encouragement that lasts. My wife is brilliant at this. She'll often say to me, oh, I read this verse this morning. It really encouraged me. Sometimes if one of us is feeling low, we'll come alongside one another and we'll pray together and we'll use scripture to to encourage one another. She's brilliant at this. I said, I was reading this word and it so encouraged me this morning. It helped to lift my eyes off of myself and remind me who's really in control, who's really sovereign and ruling over all things, who's the one I can really trust. It might not always make sense to you. Sometimes it may be confusing, but the Bible ultimately, if you feed on it, if you make a regular diet of reading, of being in the word of God, It will feed you, it will do you good. It will bring you comfort and encouragement and hope better than anything else here on earth. And specifically in this passage, we don't have time to unpack it all, but Paul gives us three little clues, hints. He tells us what the Bible teaches about what's gonna happen at the end. First of all, he says that it will be Jesus himself that will return. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven our conquering king is coming back. 
That's the language it's using. It's like this great victory parade as our conquering king returns to earth to declare his victory once and for all. It says this, it will be his cry that will wake us. There's a phone ringing in the room, which I don't know is literally the cry of Jesus to us, but pretty sure it isn't. His cry will wake us. It says, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. The uh, old Puritan, John Don, he said this a few hundred years ago about this verse. He said, the dead hear not thunder, nor do they feel an earthquake. If the cannon batters the church walls in which they lie buried, it will not wake them, nor does it shake or affect them. If the dust which they are be thrown out, but yet there is a voice which the dead shall hear. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Since that voice at the creation was never heard such a voice as this, arise ye dead. That's this voice that's gonna, this cry of command that will speak out. And all of those that are asleep, which may be us unless Jesus returns before we pass, will wake us from the dead. The same voice that in Genesis chapter one echoed over the waters and breathed life into the universe, that same voice will breathe life again into our bodies and will rise with him. What hope to look forward to. It says not only that, Jesus will return, his cry will wake us and then we will meet him. It says we'll be caught up together with them, with all of those that have died before us in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We get to meet Jesus. So often when we think about heaven, we console ourselves with, well, there won't be any pain anymore in heaven, which is true and the Bible teaches that. We think all this suffering, all the pain, all the difficulty, all these worries, fears, I won't have to have them anymore. Yes, that's all true. But the most wonderful thing is that you get to meet Jesus. Yes, amen. That's the very heart of Christianity. Not just that your life will be better, but you get to meet and have relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the great reward that awaits us, that there's this bridegroom is returning for his bride, his church, his people. So how do we apply this today? Great, wonderful hope, things to look forward to indeed. But what does this mean right now? What's the point of even thinking about what happens in eternity? How does that affect our lives today? Well, we can give ourselves radically in this life because we're confident of the next. At church, together, we can give ourselves radically to the mission he's called us to in this city because we're confident of what happens in the next. We get to live without fear because we're confident of what he has laid out for us. Having a big grand view of eternity will shape how you live out your life today. We can love and serve our city 
We don't have to get caught in just the fears and concerns that so often are around us because we're confident of what Jesus has for us. And I want to give a few practical applications for the church. But before that, let me give you a, a principle that's important. The Bible seems to be, well, it is clear that we're to live in the world as model citizens. As we live in Amsterdam as the best Amsterdamers. As in, we, we, we do what the government tells us to. We honor those that God's put in authority over us, as it talks about in Romans. We're to be model citizens but more importantly, we get to model to the world what it is to be citizens of heaven. That we get to be model citizens in this world, but we get to model to them the kingdom of God and how it's greater and better. Philippians chapter three says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve and we wait for another king who's coming back. We serve and we wait for our King Jesus to return. And we live honourably to those that God's put in authority right now, but we serve our King Jesus. And I think a way of working now is then for us as a church, let's gather together and worship God. That's so really important. That's what the church has done through the ages. That's what the Bible encourages to do in Ephesians 5. It talks about us singing songs of worship together. In Hebrews 10, it, talks, it encourages us to not neglect meeting together, that there's something about the people of God being together which will encourage you and do you good. But actually, more than that, the people of God meeting together, worshiping God together, is actually an act of rebellion. It's an act of protest. I don't mean against what the authorities say. If our city says, you can't meet anymore, then we won't meet. But it's an act of rebellion against fear. That's what happens when we worship God together. When we worship God together, we give an almighty yes and amen to Jesus and his kingdom and we say a complete and utter no to the fear and dominion of the devil. We say the fear of death will have no hold on us because Jesus is king. And when we worship God as his people together, we shout a declaration to this city, an act of rebellion against all the evil around us that would tell us, no, you can't live that way. You can't have this hope. We say, yes, we can. Because we know Jesus. We know what he's done for us. Now, I say that with lots of grace. I know that there are people in this church community who would love to be able to gather together in this room and worship God, but for many reasons, health reasons aren't able to. And we completely understand we're going to keep doing this video to serve everyone in the city that can't make it into this room. But if you can... Let's not give in to fear, not give in to the fear of death that's all around us, but let's gather together as his people. Now, at the moment, we've only got 60 spaces that we can fit in this room, but don't be polite. You're not all British like me. You can book in, and if we run out of space, then we'll have to put on more services to fit more people in. But let's start gathering again to worship God together. Let's start 
rebelling against the fear that's all around us in this city. Let's believe that God's called us to this city for a purpose, to display what it is to live as citizens of heaven, what it is to love and serve this city confidently because we know what he has laid out for us in the future. Let me finish before the band come and lead us in some worship again with verse 17 in this passage where it says that we will caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then it says this, and so we will always be with the Lord. See, the reality is that 100% of us will die. It's the one statistic that you can be confident in. That death will come to all of us, and it might come sooner than you expect, but there's nothing to fear in that. To actually to go and be with Jesus forever is the better place to be. That that's the wonderful hope that we get to cling on to, that we get to be with Jesus together. And we don't get to go there because of anything that we've done or earned or achieved, but we get to be with him because he's flooded us with his grace and mercy. That he's won this great victory, he's defeated death, the victory that we couldn't win. He's won it for us so that we can spend eternity with him. Let me pray for us and the band are gonna come and join us. Jesus, we, we just come to you this morning and we're aware of our own failings and shortcomings. We're aware of where we've given in to fear and worries. We're aware of all the failings in our life where we just don't meet the standards that we've even set for ourselves. Where so often we're, we're caught up in, a, in just a web of frustration and concern, not knowing where to go next. Even in this season where so often it's just felt tiring, a bit oppressive. We all just feel a bit lethargic, a bit worn out. And yet we thank you that the wonderful hope we have is of a wonderful eternity with you. That death isn't the supreme evil because you've defeated it. That death has been swallowed up in your victory. And for those of us here this morning and watching on YouTube, for those of us who are believers in you, we have this wonderful hope that we can cling on to that not because of any effort on our part, but because of everything you've done for us, you've won this great victory that we get to share in, that each of us will one day be dead in Christ, asleep, awaiting your voice to call us out from the dead, to call us into a joyful, wonderful, blessed eternity with you. I just want to pray as well for anyone that's watching this or is here in this room that doesn't know you, Jesus, as their Lord and Saviour. I pray right now you would come and speak to them kindly by your mercy. You just come and tell them how much you love them as your dear children. You'd help them to turn their back on their old ways of living and put their trust and hope in you and you alone. I pray right now you'd flood them with your grace and kindness and mercy. We pray, Holy Spirit, Help us all just to enjoy you, 
to live with those who are not concerned and caught up with all the worries of this age because we're confident in what you have laid out for us. We're confident in who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.